Unloose the goose. We'll take no use. Your paradigm's run out of time and we've got no use. Unloose the goose. Greetings and good evening, fellow agorists, true believers. Anarchists and fellow bipeds, we are here to have the goose finally unloosed. Uh, we are going to be talking about cryptocurrencies tonight. We're going to be going through some of the questions and answers that we have gotten on the Telegram chat, which is t.me slash unloose the goose. And um, tonight we have our illustrious guests, John Bush. And his uh, his podcast can be found at livefreenow.show. And he also has a website where he sells Kratom and uh, he's got Delta HTHC vape cartridges now. And that's mybravebotanicals.com. We also have with us the infamous and amazing Sal Mayweather. Uh, he is uh, saltheagorist.com. And he also has my3dprintergoburr with three rs.com. Is that right, Sal? 3D printer. No, my. 3D printer. Okay. Go burr. 3D printer. <laughs> go burr. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, and you guys can find us on social media. I'm Xavier Hawk, uh, host of Baseline. You can find me at Xavier Baseline. Hawk. Baseline. <laughs> That's right. I got so, one like, more person p- participating. This is Agora. Is that their name, really? Yeah, that's Fair his from- name. Oh, that's wow. my favorite name for a dog ever now. Because yeah. he's got little gray and black markets. See the gray on his beard? Look at Brilliant. that. Brilliant. My girlfriend named him. Brilliant. That's Agora. All right, just throw in. That's a, it's a cute Pomeranian for the podcast audience. His name is Agora, and we love And him. for everybody that's following along on YouTube, please make sure to put any of your questions in all caps so that we can find them easily, and we will include them in today's show. And like I said, we're going to be talking about cryptocurrencies and we're going to be everything from, you know, newbies and how to get involved, what cryptocurrencies are, how you can take advantage of the space that's uh, developing. It's a much more mature market now than it was, let's say, five years ago. And um, yeah, we'll get straight into it. How about that? Let's do it. Yeah, it's a Q&A. Yeah. So for the folks that are following along, make sure you post your questions. We'll be sure to get to them. So I think we can just start out with a general talk. What what do you understand, John, we'll start with you. What do you understand cryptocurrencies to be and their use in today's world, especially for agorists and free thinking bipeds everywhere? Okay, I've been involved in crypto since 2013. And actually before then, my ex-wife's friend was encouraging us to mine Bitcoin back when you could still do it on a laptop. And I was like, oh, no, I don't have time to really figure out what that's all about. That's when you could pump out 50 Bitcoin in each block and the competition was really low. So that was a lesson for me to always be ready and available to take on new opportunities instead of just pushing them aside. But, you know, early on, I was I'm still optimistic and idealistic when it comes with crypto. But crypto now versus crypto seven years ago uh, it's a very different beast, right? And we were, I was an agorist back then as well. And it was like, it was going to free well, humanity. Sorry to interrupt, but you also traveled around the country on Bitcoin. You were like one of the first people to say, I'm going to do this whole experience specifically on Bitcoin and see how far I could get, right? 
How did that go? Yeah. Yeah. We did like four cross country road trips. We called them unconventional road trips, uh, with the mother of my kiddos and my two kiddos. And for a, a few of them, we were in the Bitcoin.com converted school bus that we lived in for a while. Wow. And this was really early on. And our, our goal was to educate people about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and also to put the crypto ecosystem to the test to see if a family of four could survive on crypto only. And it was difficult. And we sure leaned on those like gift uh, cards and e-gifter, right. you know, to go to Whole Foods and stuff. Uh, the first trip was different than the last. By the last trip, we had crypto debit cards that were starting to come about. And so that helped with gasoline and stuff. But yeah, it's it's been a long and, you know, grueling experience. And there were so many Bitcoins that would come in and we would just spend them all immediately, which was part of the game. Now I'm more of a hold on for dear life kind of guy. But I, I think the space has really dramatically changed a lot. And just, you know, how difficult it is at times for new people to acquire Bitcoin and crypto without doing know your customer, right? And how heavily regulated a lot of the cryptos are. We still have Monero, of course, and there's still a whole lot of hope. But now we see with the Great Reset and Fourth Industrial Revolution type stuff, we originally thought blockchain is going to liberate humanity, but also now there's an aspect of blockchain helping to enslave humanity with blockchain digital identity. So I think that we have the power to determine what crypto does for us. It's not going to, I don't think it's going to liberate everybody. A lot of people are just going along to get along. The masses are going to, they're going to get their kids the blockchain ID. That's part of the one world system, but that doesn't mean that we can't still utilize and leverage cryptocurrency decentralized applications in order to find more freedom in, in our lives. And so yeah. that's what it's all about. Very cool. Sal, how about you? Yeah, I agree with everything you said. Um, <clears throat> cryptocurrencies are like the cryptocurrencies are to the agorist as the hammer is to the carpenter. It's the most efficient tool that we have to use at our disposal. And that's because the greatest enemy that we have the biggest threat to freedom and liberty is the Federal Reserve. And, you know, if it wasn't for if, it was, if, if they didn't have the ability to counterfeit money, they wouldn't be able to sustain the welfare state or the warfare state or any of the domestic nonsense like the domestic police state or the, or the surveillance state. All this stuff costs a lot of money. And the only reason why they can afford it is because they counterfeit uh, and rob savers. So. In order to fight that, we need an efficient medium of exchange. And uh, the only option we have really is in terms of sound monetary alternatives are precious metals and cryptocurrencies. Precious metals we've tried and they've they've made illegal. They've, they confiscated them uh, and they eventually closed the gold window in the 70s. So that didn't work. So really, cryptocurrencies are really the, the last or a last ditch effort. And thank God we have them because now. We don't really have to pay for uh, the famine in Yemen if you don't want to, right? And then we have an out now. And, like, to me, it really is still about uh, the whole cypherpunk dream of peer-to-peer cash uh, that doesn't require third-party intermediaries to, to verify transactions. That was the whole point of cryptocurrency in the beginning. And to me, that's still what excites me and draws me into the space. Uh, it, 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 I think there are a lot of people um, – use it for different purposes. But I think that at the end of the day, we have to remember why we're here. And that's so we can create transactions that bypass state regulators. That was the whole point that was in the Bitcoin white paper. So that's what I think Bitcoin is. And that's why I think it's so important. 
Heck yeah. I think that you all just nailed it right on the head. But something that you'd said, Sal, that it struck me and it actually goes to one of the comments on YouTube already, which is um, the fact that gold has been, you know, taken off the table in a way to do that. Right. They, they've made it really difficult to do that. Um, and the same thing is coming for cryptocurrencies. It's just a matter of time. And so we have like a window understanding the historical cycles of how these things go. You know, even if you take radio into television and how it like what they did to television after they learned how to do it in radio is like it comes in and monopolizes. And we've seen that with YouTube and with all of these channels that are removing everybody from being able to speak. Right. It's like this is our ability to reach the masses and they're they're bottlenecking it it's the same thing with gold or the ways for people to just be free and to actually live their lives in a good clear self-responsible way so i can see you know coming down the line everything that we've just discussed in terms of like the 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 blockchain revolution being turned into the blockchains like the solution being turned into the problem right only it's more so because it's now tied into your digital identity and all of these things. And so I just want to shout out to the people on the YouTube channel and say these questions are really awesome. We'll I agree with the- that X. The, the, the only yeah. point I would, I would add to that though is, um, you know, for example, like when China threatened to ban miners and, and India threatened to make cryptocurrency illegal just in general, like that was like last year or earlier this year. Uh, I, I predicted and I still predict that when that day comes, you're going to see an enormous shift of market share from pseudonymous chains like Bitcoin into yeah. more private anonymous chains like Monero and Pirate Chain and Dash and Absolutely. stuff like that. And even better ones that haven't be, been made. Right, exactly. Yeah. It, because everybody has gotten a taste of freedom. Everybody has gotten a taste of what it really means to truly be uh, autonomous and, and personally responsible. Like you said about, you know, I don't want to feed the war in Yemen or the starvation in Yemen. Currently, we pay our taxes and it goes to feed a war machine that we don't agree with. Right. People are making choices on our behalf that we would not choose to be part of if we were really understanding of the entire chain of the economics behind it. Um, and so it, it's almost like our life forces are being sucked to feed this huge beast. Yeah. And cryptocurrencies give us an opportunity to take take uh, sovereignty back and say, my life forces will be used for what I choose, not what you, Federal Reserve Banking Cartel or the, you know, uh, the war racket profiteers behind that or the government that, that makes that, you know, something doable. So this really does give us a chance. And I think that uh, solutions like what I'm building, Fireon and whatever, they help us maintain that control, right? So in terms of like, just as, as a general blanket statement, I want to let all the watchers, viewers, and readers and listeners that, that come to this know that we're not going to be here giving you investment advice. We are simply sharing some of our experiences, some of the things that we find important, and we're not telling you how to spend, use, or invest your money. Okay, um, but point, that being point, said, I'm, 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 I'm telling everybody right now: get out of the dollar, run for the hills, <laughs> and put all of your money into gold and cryptocurrency. You can, I'll take all the credit or, or Bitcoin cash. That, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. All right. So, um, hey, so, real quick, Hawk, before, before you go to any of the questions. Sure. Um, there was one thing, again, I, there was a period where I felt jaded. Maybe we could talk about it later. There's a variety of different reasons, but one of them is because Bitcoin was this hopeful technology that was going to allow people to be sovereign with their money. Yeah, yeah, but then yeah. the government starts coming in and they're like, well, actually, we're for the tax purposes, we're going to treat it as property. And if you're going to buy it on an exchange, we're going to require KYC. 
And so I always pointed out that the cool thing about crypto still is that it gives people greater freedom to choose to defy the government, right? So there's laws that regulate so many of our activities, and we have a choice to comply with them. More often than not, there's not even a gun in the room. We just comply out of fear of some future negative outcome, right? And so the thing that crypto is good for, for agorists, unlike having a checking account, for example, or accepting credit card payments into your bank, or even having gold, is that at the end of the day, the government can backdoor into your checking account and freeze your assets or garnish your wages. They can also execute a search warrant on your home and take your gold or your property that you're not claiming, right? But with crypto, not only is it easier to conceal the fact that you are engaging in counter economic activity, additionally, at the end of the day, when the rubber meets the road, if they realize that you have a stash of crypto or suspect you have a stash of crypto and they say, hey, we have a court order that says you need to turn over that cryptocurrency to the man, it's still your choice whether or not you tell them your encryption password to access your wallet, for example. So it does give us a lot more freedom. And, and at the end of the day, it's it's the bold that will be free, right? You got to put a little skin in the game. And it just we now have a technology that makes it easier for people to navigate agorism, for example. And in, in the same vein, I don't know if you guys heard um, yesterday's episode of Jack's podcast, but he, he took a, a question. Jack has from a, a podcast? No, 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 not that guy. Uh, <laughs> he took a question, though, from a listener who said something to the effect, if I remember correctly, was like, hey, how can I hide uh, assets by, you know, converting it to gold or Bitcoin or something like that? And I can remember thinking, like, well, that's the whole the, right there. You're done. As soon as you've converted into a sound monetary alternative, you you've shielded yourself from the, the the inflationary tax, which is the worst tax of all because it's hidden. And, you know, like John said, that sort of gives you this 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 chance or like X was saying earlier, at least we have an opportunity now. So. Yeah. So so for those of you who are new to Bitcoin and or cryptocurrencies in general, uh, let's just give a quick overview. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do a, a quick uh, synopsis or an analogy. Let's say you find gold in the ground. You dig and you see that it's there. You kind of estimate how much it is, but you don't take it out. In fact, you put a cage up on the on the mine and that and inside the mine, you put a little ledger that says information. This belongs to, you know, Xavier Hawk or John Bush or whatever, or X was here on this date. And, you know, I left a, a happy birthday note for John. So you can put this information in that mine and you close it up with a gate and then you take a key and you lock it up and then you take that key and then you go and sell that key. That's what everybody thinks of Bitcoin is. It's that actual key. And what that is, is the encryption that you have saying that that mine, that piece of information on that blockchain is mine. And I'm going to sell you or you or you uh, that key so that you can access that little spot of data on that blockchain. And what a blockchain is, is essentially in a, a long string of numbers um, that they themselves are like little mines and they have information on each one. And they're locked up in an encryption that's not set but that actually sees how hard your computer works to break the encryption. And then once it has worked hard enough, then it unlocks it 
And then it might say out of 16 blocks, there's two Bitcoin in that space. And so those two keys become the person who unlock the, the cryptographic algorithm. And those are called miners. And then those miners turn around and sell those Bitcoin to OTC desks or exchanges where individuals go and purchase them. Right. That's the traditional proof of work kind of cryptocurrency, which Bitcoin was the original. There's been a number of iterations of that since then, like Litecoin and some others. And then there's also what's called a proof of stake coin, which is a long blockchain, not locked up in encryption, but actually given when you purchase it, when you change your fiat or other cryptocurrencies for it, then you get that key. And that's your, your proof of that's my that's my gold mine there. Right. That's my stake in that. And so everybody's trading these keys, which are actually their their bitcoins or their cryptocurrencies, their ether, whatever it is. So that that's sort of just like a quick overview, really like Eli five kind of explanation of cryptocurrencies. Now, do you guys have anything to add to that? I think it's important to share about what the public address is and the private key. Go ahead. Real quick, like a blockchain. I like to describe blockchain as a distributed public ledger. And it's decentralized and spread out. You have traditionally, this is a great innovation of blockchain technology. Traditionally, the ledger that stores information in the case of a currency, it's who has what money, who has the right lawful authority to that money or who has property in that money. And so you, traditionally, it was like the bank says they, they're the ones that keep the ledger and they say you have this amount of money and the Federal Reserve has a ledger. And they're able to just completely exploit it and inflate it as often as they want with the U.S. dollar. Or Visa has a ledger that keeps track of your credit and when you make your payments and how much debt that you have. And the cool thing about cryptocurrency and blockchain is that it distributes that ledger out so you don't have to trust a third party like a bank, a credit card company or a government in order to ensure the authenticity and legitimacy of what's on that ledger. Right. And then a wallet is a piece of software that allows users to interface with a blockchain, whether it's the Bitcoin blockchain or the Ethereum blockchain. And that software also generates public addresses and private keys. Private keys unlock access to the crypto on the public address. And the public address is like your public face, kind of like a checking account number that you share with people in order to receive crypto. So I like to share. And then here's one big tip that still people haven't really caught on to. If you're going to store crypto, whether it's a small amount or a large amount, but especially if it's a significant amount, make sure that you store it in a non-custodial wallet. This is a wallet where no third parties have access to that private key. And again, the innovation with cryptocurrencies, you can truly own and control your money and your property. Maybe for one of the first times in history, you can have privacy and control over it unlike ever before. And so if you have a third party that can access that private key like Coinbase or PayPal, for example, then you don't truly own that. And they could buckle under like Mt. Gox did and took everyone's coins. It was a Ponzi scheme, turns out. Or the government can lean on them because they don't like how you're doing or you owe income tax or whatever. So you always want to have a non-custodial wallet where no one else has access to your private keys. Those are some beginner things. On Preferably that. on an on, offline storage like a nano a nano ledger or, uh, you know, one of those kinds of kinds of treasure. Treasure. Yeah. And, and, and they have they have a number of solutions out there and they um, 
they can carry a variety of different coins, let's say. So there are a number of different blockchains out there and each of them have a different function. Bitcoin is the sort of gold standard in the sense that it was the one that was created first and has the most market uh, trust, let's say. Um, although there are a lot of reasons why it shouldn't, it is. And it's also um, like the Model T in cars, right? So since then, there have been a number of developments in the blockchain world. Faster, better, better looking, better working, more secure. Then you have Turing complete blockchains, which you are able to create what are called smart contracts. So it's really like a digital instrument that works as money. It also works as a stake in a company or a store of value as like gold would. And so it, it crosses all of these barriers because now we're in the digital age too. So it actually can work as contracts. You can do automated escrow services with certain uh, blockchains and certain cryptocurrencies now. So they, they, they function in a number of different ways and can be programmed to do a variety of different things. Some are great for storing data. Some are great for voting with. Some are great for, um, you know, being HIPAA compliant and things like that. So some are, some good, are good for buying drugs on the dark market. <laughs> deep web. That's right. That's like right. Monero. So, yeah, let's let's go into that. Right. So um, the first question we have comes from uh, Nicholas on Telegram, who says, can you talk about some gray methods to go fiat to crypto and vice versa without KYC? Sal, we'll go to you first. So the first thing I would recommend is to check out one of those uh, peer-to-peer exchanges. Uh, some good ones are uh, local bitcoins, local.bitcoin.com, uh, local coin swap. They all let you trade uh, different sorts of cryptocurrencies uh, in, a, in an anonymous fashion. It's all peer-to-peer. There's no KYC involved. It's, it's one of the last uh, ways to directly purchase cryptocurrency without having to access a KYC payment platform. Um, so, yeah, I mean, other than that, there used to be a good service called uh, Lamium that allowed you to uh, pay people's bills. You could post your utility bills and then, uh, you know, along with, let's say your, your cable bill, your cable bill is 100 bucks. You could post your cable bill with $100 in cryptocurrency. I can come along and pay it in fiat and collect that cryptocurrency. But I think that they Clever. folded. Yeah. So, uh other than that, the really the best way to acquire cryptocurrency is by earning it, right? That that's that's the the best way to acquire, it, in my opinion. And uh, if you can do that in a gray market, even better. And if you want to buy more than like let's say ten million, DM me. What about you? <laughs> I'm trying to pull up. I just found this video recently because I'm doing crypto consultations, and one of the questions because a lot of folks find me from our networks and the conscious resistance and unloose the goose. And uh, here it is right here. And one of the things that they're concerned with is not going through Coinbase or not going through one of these big services. So I've been doing a little bit more research. Oh, sorry about that. And um, there, so let me answer that question. But the, the first way, there's five different ways or four different ways to receive Bitcoin. There's mining Bitcoin, where you're actually receiving newly minted coins which if you can do that or if you can get your hands on newly minted coins, these are what I like to call black bitcoins when talking about bitcoins compared to white bitcoins. White bitcoins are those coins that are whitelisted that have been tied to someone's identity through a know your customer check. That's when you have to do scan your driver's license and stuff. Black bitcoins are just fresh bitcoins. That's more agorist and like who knows where they've been. Well, actually, they've never been anywhere because they're newly minted. So you can mine bitcoin. It's extremely difficult Although some people mine like graphics cards and they do script mining, 
are these little mining programs that switch between the most profitable coin and then they convert it out to Bitcoin. That's something that people can still pull in some coinage. And then, like Sal said, you can receive crypto in exchange for goods and services, which is by far the best way to do it. You can buy it from a mainstream, you know, government backed exchange or government government approved exchange like Coinbase, PayPal. Uh, A lot of the exchanges now, Binance, Kraken, they all require the know your customer stuff, unfortunately. And then it's going to be tied to your identity. A lot of these places will not automatically turn over records to the IRS, although some of them do when you reach a certain threshold. So it's important to know what those thresholds are if you want to be gray uh, and not have that info go to the IRS. And then the last way is through peer-to-peer exchanges, which is the best way. And the best way is to have a, a network, right? We always bang on freedom cells and community and network on this program. That's where the rubber meets the road. You have people that you trust. But like Sal pointed out, there's some other – maybe the, are, are folks still doing the show notes for us? If they are, there's a, a great YouTube video I came across, and it really breaks down some of them. There's one – have you guys heard of BISQ, B-I-S-Q? It's a, it's a DEX. It's a decentralized exchange, right? Yeah, and it, it's similar. It's like uh, localbitcoins.com used to be the main one, but now everyone's required to do KYC on those. This is similar to that, but it's decentralized. And it's still peer to peer, but they have this great mechanism where you like put up a security deposit to ensure that neither one of the parties are going to engage in fraud. And then they have people that are paid with some of the security deposits to engage in arbitration and dispute resolution. So I'm really excited to check that one out. It's BISC, B-I-S-Q dot network, BISC dot network. So that's important to find the optimal ways to acquire crypto without having to do the KYC. So you can onboard into your crypto experience without the government being aware. Another way you could do it, um, and of course, I would never recommend anybody do anything illegal, of course. Um, but <laughs> Of course, never. <laughs> of course. But what you could do, too, is you could just uh, download an Opera browser, which comes with a free VPN, set your VPN to somewhere in Southeast Asia, and sign on to... Uh, the Bitcoin.com exchange or some other exchange and just purchase directly without having to do any sort of KYC and send it to your own personal non-custodial wallet. But of course that's illegal. Right. So you shouldn't do that. It's not unethical though, which is really of what's important. Not. Right. So let's say, let's take a newbie, right? And let's say that they're not super concerned um, about KYC and this and that would you recommend something like Coinbase? And then does Coinbase, uh, they report you, but do they report you when you are holding coins or do they report you when you, let's say you buy and then you put it into your non-custodial wallet, do they report you then? And if so, uh, or do they report you when you when you get out of your position, let's say? Do you guys know? I'm not really 100% sure. Uh, I use Coinbase to, to process payments for on my 3D printer site. So if, if there is a threshold, I'll find out come the next April. I'll let you guys know. Right. But uh, <laughs> I'm not really 100% sure, to be honest with you. I have mixed feelings about Coinbase. I think that um, they've done they've done more for adoption than probably anybody else. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, like the KYC is crazy, but even just as bad as the KYC, they have like the highest fees in the crypto markets. So if you can avoid them, do it. But if not, you got to do, do Coinbase things. Pro. Yeah, but you have I'm to pay for that, right? 
I think you do, but then it's like it's like 1.5% with normal Coinbase or like 3.99% if you tie it to a debit card, 1.5 with a check. And so Coinbase Pro is like 0.26% or something like that. Which I wonder what the fee is to sign up. We'll have to look into that. And now you can yeah, you know, PayPal, Cash App, Abra. Yeah, there's yeah. like a lot of apps to, to onboard you. In, but they are, like you said earlier, like all KYC. And, and you're going to find that more as we continue on. In fact, it goes to one of the questions like um, speak to the recent announcement from IRS claiming all crypto on 2020 returns from spit fingered fastball on YouTube. You know, I, I, that's why I asked the question about Coinbase. It's like, how are they going to find your non-custodial accounts? You know, like, how are they going to actually audit you if you, if right. you have 10 million Bitcoin somewhere on a cold storage wallet? Like, they can't really, you know, right. feasibly you could actually be super Bitcoin rich, but then poor on paper and not pay taxes. Right. And the other benefit of crypto, and I don't, I don't think we mentioned this is like, the transportability, supposing that the Internet and all of the electronics that we have continue on for the next 10 years, you could actually travel from one country to another with the entirety of your wealth in cryptocurrency and not let anybody know and then just show up in a country all of a sudden, you know, really rich. Yeah. Go to somewhere like Portugal where you don't have to pay taxes on cryptocurrencies. Right. So there, there's a number of ways to to look into and figure out your strategy and what your end goal is. And I think that's really you know, the key here is like, what's your end goal in life? What's your end goal in your, your journey? And how can you use cryptocurrencies to your benefit in that way? While knowing what the pitfalls are, what the, what the playing field looks like and, and being informed. To me, I, I think as the Gorist, I think the idea of being able to become your own bank is so huge. That is such a life changing uh, experience. So you don't really understand how much of an effect it actually has on your life. Um, once you switch to a sound monetary alternative, your, your time preference immediately becomes lower in your entire life. You become more oriented towards savings and towards future consumption rather than present consumption. And that leads to a whole host of individual benefits. And uh, it just makes you a more a better person all around. Happier. So, Let's yeah. Yeah, it really does. It, it, because, you know, if, if you know that your dollars are going to be worth less tomorrow, you're more inclined to spend them today. But if you know your Bitcoin is going to be worth more tomorrow, you're more inclined to want to save it. So it's it's one of like I said in the beginning, it's the most important. It's one of the best tools that uh, Agoras have to uh, to fight back against the cartel. Heck yeah, I was just looking up uh, briefly. There's this twenty thousand dollar magic number where if you do oh, it says if you do over two hundred trades, this is CryptoTrader.tax. It's not directly, but they say they're getting it from Coinbase. If you do over 200 trades or more whose total value is equal or greater to 20,000, then Coinbase sends you a 1099K and they send the IRS a 1099K. I think it's important to note that like if folks are getting into it and they're still filers and they're in that world and universe, you come up with a plan and do your due diligence and research and don't just think that you can come in and out of these know your customer type exchanges and be safe from the prying eyes of the government. Um, maybe if you're going to be using a KYC exchange, assume that the man is aware and kind of operate from that paradigm, which is why, again, it's critically important um, that we do explore those peer-to-peer exchanges and find some optimal ones. That's something I'm going to be doing some research on so I can better 
uh, provide information to clients and stuff. And I'll be sure to share it with the Unloose the Goose community. We do have a Unloose the Goose crypto group that's on uh, Telegram as well. And I brought up the conversation to try to figure out if we can set up some peer-to-peer stuff. And one person clarified, my understanding is that if you're doing private transactions peer-to-peer, so I have Bitcoin, I sell Bitcoin for cash to someone, I don't charge a fee or I don't charge a higher rate than just an average exchange rate, then that's private. And unless you're doing it for profit, you're not considered a money service business. This is all bullshit under the Bank Secrecy Act. It's supposed to be anti-money laundering stuff. But somebody clarified that whether you're doing a fee or not, if you do more than $1,000 every day, then you could be considered a money service business. So that might be another threshold. They link to an actual um, Department of Treasury site too. So under a thousand bucks, private folks, I would like for people like we could create a telegram group where it's just crypto trader guys and it's a trusted network. People vouch for you. You start with smaller transactions. You can work your way up. But I think that would be a really valuable thing to have. It's just a peer to peer exchange with people like us and we trade 500 bucks here, 200 bucks here, whatever to as a onboarding in and out of crypto is really important. That's a great idea. I think it's really cool. Um, so one of the questions from Liberty at, at Liberté et le sur, isn't Bitcoin more open to future corporate corruption down the line by governments? I actually, um, I have some things to say about that, but I would love to put it to Sal. What do you think? Don't you think Bitcoin or any of these pseudonymous uh, coins are open to corruption? No, no. I mean, they are, but I think that the, it's, it's, if the state could, could have, uh, interfered with them, they would have by now. They tried. Uh, right. Well, well, you're right. And in some sense, they may have. That might have been what the block size scaling debate was about. That's some sort of conspiracy theorists like myself in the crypto space seem to believe, but we'll, I, I won't go into that right now. Um, I lost my train of thought. What were we talking about again? Uh, the, the <laughs> corrupting ability. Yeah. Right. I don't think that they're going to get into, I don't think they're going to be able to corrupt Bitcoin, but I do think that uh, they're going to try to create this digital dollar. And this is very dangerous because I think that the the reason why is because they're threatened by Bitcoin number one. So they, they know they need to come up with some sort of cryptographic protocol that can compete with cryptocurrencies. But more oh, importantly, I think... I, I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to issue a digital dollar and sort of say, okay, you can't spend it on uh, gold or silver. You can't spend it at crypto exchanges. You can't spend it at the gun store. You can't buy seeds with it. Um, you have to go out and you have to consume. You have to spend it at Target. This money is only good at Walmart or at the movie theater, something like that to sort of pump up and stimulate the economy because what's going to happen is, is eventually as they flood the economy with freshly printed dollars, those dollars, that newly inflated currency will have less and less of a stimulating effect on the economy. So they're going to grow more and more desperate to try to focus and concentrate that, those stimulus packages and that quantitative easing. But um, at the end of the day, I think you're safe in, in, in a, a strong, secure blockchain like uh, BTC or BCH or even any of the more, you know, like XMR or Dash, I really like any of those chains. I think if they could have, they would have by now. I mean, the IRS just issued a reward uh, <laughs> to anybody who could crack Monero. I mean, what an endorsement right there, right? I mean, you can't get more <laughs> aggressive than that. That's great marketing. <laughs> what do you think, John, about the corruptibility of these various chains and Bitcoin in particular? Yeah. Well, one way that a group of people, powerful people could try to corrupt or attack 
Bitcoin is by doing a 51% attack. That's where you gather up a whole lot of computing power, a whole lot of mining power, and then you're able to manipulate transactions, say that transactions didn't happen. And so that's always been a threat and one of the concerns. It's even written about in the white paper, right, guys? I think so. And so in order to do that, you would have to really have a significant amount of these ASIC chips. And the thing is, while ASIC, while the Bitcoin mining network isn't as decentralized as it was early on, and much of the mining power is like consolidated in China and stuff, I think yep. Bitmain still has a whole lot of it. And Bitmain's pretty legit. In my opinion, at least they're not, I don't think that they're bad actors per se. Um, th- I don't think that the manufacturers can churn out the chips fast enough for one party to just accumulate all of them to achieve a majority of mining and computing power. So as far as corrupting the network in that way, I don't think that that's going to happen. There is like politics, right? Politics is everywhere. It's in the office space. It's in the household. Thankfully, not with me and my lady, though, because we love each other. She's right here and we're so sweet to each other. (laughs) Sorry. I digress. But even in the cryptocurrency space, there's politics. And I'd like to we don't have to now. Let's get to some more questions. But I'd like to talk about the Bitcoin block size controversy that took place and Bitcoin cash, how that forked away. That could be an example of Bitcoin being corrupted by institutional influence, like Larry Summers was involved in, uh, if people remember him from the bailouts and stuff under Obama. I think he was under Bush era, too. And uh, they were like all involved with Blockstream, this corporation that really co-opted and kind of bastardized Bitcoin and took it away from being digital peer-to-peer cash, peer-to-peer digital cash like it was supposed to be, and instead turned it into like this reserve gold. Like Hawk said earlier, it's the gold standard. Like that's meaningful in many different ways. It is kind of like the crypto gold, the reserve currency for the cryptocurrency space. For no more reason than everybody's using it. What's that? For no other reason other than everybody's using it. Well, Well, I think too it's the gold because... It's it's tell it's so hard to do transactions with it. It's not optimal to do transactions like a normal transaction fee, like an average transaction fee to ensure that your transaction gets included in the next block, which are supposed to happen every 10 minutes on average is like three dollars. So if you're buying a product from me at Brave Botanicals, it's thirty dollars and you pay a 10 percent fee. That's worse than credit cards. Right. And I did an experiment with one of my clients. He, He was going to pay me for a couple hours of consulting and. The normal fee was $3. So I said I was teaching him about transaction bloat and and congestion in the network. And I said, let's see what happens if we make it a dollar, right? First, I was going to do like, let's see what happens if we make it 20 cents. But then I was like, I, I want to get paid sometime this week. But I was like, let's see what happens if we make it a dollar. This was yesterday at 4 o'clock. He sent me a couple hundred bucks, and it was a $1 transaction fee, right? It would have been the same thing if he sent me $10. Let's do this experiment with $1. The transaction didn't get a confirmation, which means it gets included in a block and it's confirmed as a valid transaction until noon the next day. And whenever the price was running up to 19,000 plus a couple of years ago, the bloat, even leading up to that, the bloat was even worse. And like there were transactions that didn't go through for a week or longer. They always went through, which at least there's some certainty in that. But that's another reason why I say Bitcoin is like gold. I think it's good to buy and to hold on for dear life. And if you want to stimulate the cryptocurrency space, like Jack Spierko always encourages people to use it, right? And if you want to move away from the dollar for ethical reasons and strategic reasons, then Bitcoin Cash is a much better 
use for that, right? So in the corruptibility standpoint of things, like, so I'm, I'm an unpopular voice in the crypto space because I always point out the, the flaws. And like you were talking about earlier about the Chinese um, mining conglomerates that, that pretty much dominate this space, if they all came together and said, you know, we're just going to stop this. I mean, it's profitable for them, so they're not going to. But yeah. let's say let's say because they were Chinese owned and the CCP was basically like, I, we, we don't care. Fuck it. You know, and they're like, your buddies in the CCP, Hawk. Yeah, they would. They could. Like they really could because they they own collectively more than fifty one percent of the of the of the mining, and therefore the 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 nodes that are you know validating transactions and all these things. So they could. Then you've also got the fact that the coders, the people on the on the main coding team, all kind of belong to the same organization, you know. And what if they decide something different? Like you have no culpability, you have no accountability, right? So it's it's outside of your hands. And so from the true agorist sort of self reliance kind of thing, like I mean, you can build your own chain, right? Like if you have the capabilities of doing you can that. Work it. Yep. And, and, or yeah, you could fork other chains or whatever, or clone them. The fact is, is though it, it really comes down to how many people can you get to trust you to trust your coding more than they do the blockchain or the, the Bitcoin blockchain, let's say, or the coding team for Monero or whomever, right? Like what, what if they get a steel or, uh, steel or silver option down the line and they take the silver option and they're like, fuck it, we're going to open up the Monero chain to everybody and, and KYC it now. Like you have to, it, it really is about community and getting to know who you're working with. Like there are people who are still in control of your monetary system. They just happen to be coders and miners instead of bankers and this and that. So, and I was part of the, let's say Bitcoin brokerage world in 2016, when all the banks had come together, JP diamond, you know, the guy who was like, Bitcoin is illegal and we're not going to let anybody in our banks use it. And this and that he was out buying hundreds of millions of dollars of Bitcoin um, for chase. And the fact was, is like, they were looking for those black Bitcoin, like you were, like you called them, you know, we called them virgin coins at the time, meaning like original minted from the blockchain miners that hadn't gone through because at that time they were doing forensics and they wanted to make sure that none of the coins had ever gone through Silk Road or anything like that because it mattered to them from a legal standpoint and from like, uh, just a, 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 you know, exposure standpoint. They couldn't take the exposure of having their coins go ever through some kind of dark web thing, right? So th- there's a lot of factors that are sort of like the deeper underlying, uh, things. Now that, you- that we have, not to interrupt, sorry, but now we have like coin mixing services where that's sort of, uh, eases a little bit of that tension it sort of negates a lot of that pressure from the state uh cash fusion is a great one um for bitcoin cash wallets uh any type of coin join or for btc or something like that with wasabi wallet would work but th- those are great options to sort of an- uh, anonymize your your btc yeah those take a bunch of transactions and then mix them all together right the inputs and the outputs and then it's just all convoluted but i will say like High-level FBI and private contractors, they can crack some of that stuff with the Bitcoin blockchain. They haven't been able to crack whatever technology Monero is using. I was at the Ross Ulbricht trial for like a week, and to hear from their forensic experts and to hear from the FBI guys how they track down and crack down, and it's highly likely, too, that the NSA was involved in discovering who Ross was. Um, it was nuts just to, to experience that. So that's another lesson, too, for people like Bitcoin isn't anonymous. You can cover your tracks 
you know, if you know what you're doing uh, and that helps. Right. And one quick, easy tip is just always to create a new public address every time you uh, send a public address out. If you don't, you send the same public address to everyone and people can go to a block explorer and they can see like, oh, wow, holy shit, they have two Bitcoin. You know, my mom always taught me, like, don't tell people what money you have and what you're worth because they'll think about you differently. Right. Or you'll be a target for hackers or for for theft. So it's always important. Most wallets nowadays, every time you hit receive, it generates a new public address. So there's no chain or trail of transactions. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a question from um, Kathy on Facebook, which is, I would like to know if crypto can only be processed used via cell phone. What about a laptop? And I'm going to go ahead and say, of course, you can use a laptop. It's not strictly a phone. In fact, if you're just using a phone, I'd be very suspect about your security. Um, there are a number of the programs that you can like actual wallets that you can download and install on your computer. And those are much more secure than any laptop. Or I'm sorry, phone based, you know, non-custodial or custodial wallet, like um, even like Nexo, Coinbase, Exodus. You know, there are a number of Shapeshift. Like they're still around. There's a number of wallets out there that you can keep a large variety of different coins in. Um, but you can also install them directly on your laptop, which is a higher level of security than your phone. And then uh, the other question is Sean on Facebook. Oh, no, uh, Lena from Facebook. Am I too late? Meaning, am I too late for the for the bull run? I don't think so. I, I had a friend that always used to say, if you think you missed the boat on Bitcoin, the sales have yet to be set. And he would say that back when Bitcoin was like 2000 or something. Yeah. Now it's 20,000 or 19,000. I still think there's a lot of growth to be had. For a variety of reasons. One of the biggest ones is that Bitcoin is a finite commodity. There's only ever going to be 21 million and over 18 million of those have already been created. A bunch of them are just lost. No one can ever access them again. Most like a whole bunch of them were like crypto geeks early on before Bitcoin was even worth a dollar, just messing around and forgot about it or threw away the computer. And then what a phenomenon that's taking place right now that's even further limiting the supply is PayPal and Square Cash App, they're apparently buying up almost all of the newly minted coins. I saw yep. something saying only 800 Bitcoins are created every day, which seems like a really small amount. Every 10 minutes, I think it's 6.125 now. Is that what the block size is? It was 12 and a half, I think. Now it's 6. Point, it was 50. Every four years, it drops in half. Then it was 25. Then it was 12 and a half. Then it was 6.25, I think, now. But... Those Bitcoin are all being gobbled up by these massive institutions. So it's creating a smaller supply for everyone else to compete for. And there's more of a demand driving up the price. Everybody think thinks have, the market's liquid and it's really not. There are just a few, yeah. there's like all these desks buying it up. There are these banks buying it up. PayPal app, uh, PayPal Square, all of them. Yeah. Coinbase buys a ton of it all the time. Yep. Of course you can buy also, it from a lot of these. Some of them are my clients. Sal, I got a question for you. I'm pretty sure you're along the same lines, like it's not too late, right? It's still early, right? Yeah, no, 100%. Um, not only do I think it's it's still early, I think it's it's super early. We haven't even begun to yep. uh, to, to do anything yet. 20,000 is going to – people are going to uh, look back at the individuals who bought below 20K like we were geniuses. Uh, yeah. This is – it's nothing. I mean, forget so, about uh, Bitcoin in general. Think about – we haven't even mentioned um, – tokenization and the whole wave of, of tokenized everything yep. assets 
uh, asset securities, uh, yep. look at what Mines is doing with the tokenization of content and how it's allowing people to take ownership of the content they produce rather than Mark Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey or someone like that. Yep. And now you can you can profit from that. Or think about how one thing I'm super bullish on is um, tokenized securities and assets the effect that they will have on the SEC and FINRA, because I think that once people start to tokenize stocks and bonds and they start to trade them on decentralized exchanges, then at that point, all of the, the you know, arbitrary rules and mandates that the SEC and FINRA dream up, all of a sudden they become irrelevant. It's sort of like doing to the SEC and FINRA what uh, Bitcoin did to the Federal Reserve or what 3D printers did to the ATF, sort of just, completely just works around them. So Irrelevant. that's going to be my buddy, Gabriel Cardona calls this the Tocambrian explosion it's because it, it, it's really just going to sort of just like blossom into like a million different use cases that totally. we can only dream about. And, and well, I think we, the, yeah, it's have not even the beginning. Tokenized access. Yeah. So like, I want to get back to some some more concrete things for for some of our listeners and watchers, but just to throw an idea out there is like tokenized access. This is something we talked about in 2014, even which was like you can have a specific token that your wallet, like you walk up to a door like in Star Trek, and you can have an NFC chip with a wallet in it, and have a specific token in there that would allow you to get to certain parts of a building or certain yeah. parts of the app. We use that in FireOn. So there's like there's so many different ways to use these things, and currency and or stores of value is just one. That's but why I so, tell people like always to try to like whatever chain people are like what what chain should I use? What coin should I use? What should I invest in? And like yeah. I always tell people to look for one of the things you should look for. Uh, is is a strong platform for tokenization that a coin should have. Yep, yep, yep. One, thing, one thing on the access, it's um, so again, crypto and blockchain can be liberating, but it can also be enslaving. And the whole access concept, there's white papers and speculation that that the powers that be, the new world order, everyone has their blockchain identity. Everyone uses that to buy and sell. It can oh, be turned coming. off. It's not a sovereign one. But there's also access. So let's imagine that whenever you get your COVID vaccine, then a token is sent to your your wallet or your address. And that token is what's scanned whenever you go through the TSA, for example. Correct. Or let's say your social credit score drops beneath a certain level. Now you don't have the token that you need in order to access the public transportation system. This That's is right. coming down the pike. And we all need to be aware of it. I, and, and right. I gave a lecture at Oxford on this, on this specific topic, on how the blockchain would be used to enslave the rest of society. And they were like, you're amazing. This is incredible. Like this is, you know, and I'm like sitting here like, Jesus, they really like want that shit. And, <laughs> and, and so that's why I built Firon is like, well, this is coming. We better make one that we own. Otherwise we become the chipped cattle. But back to the, back, do you guys know Pirate Wallet for Android? Sal, are you familiar with it? Um, I, I usually use Monero, not so much R, but I know Jack is, Jack is a big fan of R. Okay, so there's a, a question on YouTube that's from KJ4RMZ. Do you all feel that the Pirate Wallet for Android is ready and safe? I personally don't know about it. Yeah, I don't know enough about it to, to really make an accurate call on that one. I would, I would recommend asking Jack, though. He took the night okay. off, so yell at him. And what is the most widely accepted crypto cash substitute? Bitcoin Cash, Dash, and that is from Joe Tundra Walker. Hey, Joe. Bitcoin Cash. Bitcoin yeah, cash why do you like Bitcoin Cash? Accept- 
Because it's the most efficient medium of exchange, so it's the most it's the most competitive alternative to to the USD. Uh, and like John, for all the reasons John was saying earlier, I, I agree with everything he said. Uh, I think that the block size, the whole the crowd who wanted to keep the blocks small, were influenced by the CIA and the NSA, who knew that uh, by doing so they would sort of make the coins inefficient. Right now, essentially, BTC, and this is not a, not a popular opinion, but for all intents and purposes, it's really just a sort of settlement token for the Lightning Network. It's really just used to settle balances on the, the Lightning Network, and that's not what Bitcoin is. So, uh, you know, going back to the original question, that's where most of the most places that accept cryptocurrency are accepting Bitcoin Cash. I think. What about uh, Litecoin? I don't think as many people accept it as they accept Bitcoin Cash. I know in uh, Australia, uh, my buddy Hayden Otto uh, did a study uh, where it was like almost nobody was using BTC, like zero, almost zero transactions. Right. And like the overwhelming bulk of them occurred in, in BCH. I know Roger Ver posted on Twitter earlier today saying that uh, it's the most widely used crypto in Antigua. Um you know, it's just, it just seems to be the most efficient use, the most efficient medium of exchange. It's got the lowest transaction fees and the, the transactions are, are so quick that uh, it's just super efficient to use. Interesting. Okay. What about I you? accept, I accept Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Dash and Ether. And most people use Bitcoin, but after that, it's Bitcoin Cash. And I, a lot of people that buy from me, I don't know, maybe some of them are, are new users. They may not even realize that they're set paying two to three dollars for a transaction fee on a twenty, fifty, or a hundred dollar, a hundred dollar order. And then as a as the vendor that's receiving it, you know, I need to switch that order to processing as soon as possible so I can get it shipped out right away. But in my invoice generating plugin for WooCommerce. If it doesn't get confirmed, then it just shows up as failed after a certain amount of time. And I don't, I think they need to update their code for congestion on the network, but I'm, I'm, I'm a bull, I'm a Bitcoin cash kind of guy. I think it'd be cool if Sal, can you just give like a, a, a overview of what took place with the whole lightning network, segregated witness, um, controversy and then Bitcoin cash led in large part by Roger Ver, who's a total badass. I'm a total Roger Ver fanboy. He led the Bitcoin cash creation and it's actually turned out to be pretty successful. Yeah, I mean, they there was like a, a big controversy back in like 2017, I think it was, where, uh, you know, once the blocks get too big, the network, the network becomes congested and transactions become really slow and really expensive because you're competing for all the miners uh, to, to confirm your transaction. So uh, once it got like prohibitively high, when Bitcoin was reaching all-time highs, it really became unusable. And uh, a group of people, um, and it wasn't Roger Ver, it was uh, Amari Shea, I believe, and, and a guy named Free Trader, who had the idea, um, you know, this enough is enough, you know what I mean? Let's just raise the block size a little bit. And they did, and they created Bitcoin Cash. They forked off. Um, and like I said, it, it's, just, it's just a much more efficient medium of exchange. It's designed to retain that peer-to-peer cash aspect that Satoshi was trying to create. Um, and, you know, a lot of the, the BTC camp, now they, it's, you know, remains slow and efficient. Just the other day, I was trying to fulfill an order for a, a huge order of 3D printers. I was paying like almost $4,000 to my supplier in China, and I was trying to send Bitcoin around to complete the transaction. 
and the fee was like almost ninety dollars. Wow. Like, this is crazy. How can someone you can't use this as as a medium of exchange? So uh, you know. Yeah. So do you Bitcoin, guys hold onto your bitcoins when people send you Bitcoin as payment? I convert everything to Bitcoin Cash. Uh, I'm a holder. I still think as far as like making money, if that's your goal, I still think Bitcoin is more bullish. There was a point there where we were, I don't know what it's called, the flippening, I guess, when people were like, yeah. is Bitcoin Cash going to overtake it's Bitcoin? It's predominant. You still think I it's st- coming? I still think it's coming. I do. I do. And I'll tell you why. It's because Money's not going to get behind it. Eventually... Eventually, eventually the market will catch up to it. Eventually, it'll it'll be exposed for the uh, <laughs> what, what did X call it earlier? The mo- being the Model T of the crypto space. I think yeah. that's a great analogy because it really is it. I would even go so far as to say it's sort of like the Pontiac because in twenty or thirty years it might not be around at all. Um, yeah, know, which brings up a good point. We're actually going into the quantum age. You know, there's quantum computers, quantum algorithms, quantum internet, and all of this, and you know. I have friends in interesting places and they're already like, yeah, the blockchain's obsolete. Just nobody knows yet. And, you know, it, Bitcoin it, blockchain or blockchain technology, blockchain technology, the cryptographic Man. algorithms, the, the actual technology, the underlying uh, architecture, let's say the distributed ledger is here to stay. The, the cryptographic algorithms that that lock like shot 256 is going to be hacked oh, or what? It's already done. Yeah. Um, but but that's not public stuff. That's like, you know, behind the scenes, they've got quantum computers that can, you know, figure out that in like 0.3 seconds, you know. Um, but they're, they're to, to, to bring it back to a little bit more today work stuff is like there a place that you can find vendors and suppliers that accept crypto or like is there like a like there used to be a site that basically like said who everybody is that accepts crypto. You go and you log in and you say, I accept crypto and people could go and look. Um, I forget what it was called, but is there one that's today, John? Do you know? Man, I know Dash. Dash has one. Um, Dash is pretty good about that. I don't know what it's all. Man, stuff's changed. A lot of stuff went defunct, so I don't even know one off the top of my head. I know there's one that shows all the Bitcoin ATMs. Yeah, Bitcoin.com has a has a map that you can uh, check out and see where you can spend uh, Bitcoin oh, Cash. Um, I I don't think I should register my site on there. Yeah, 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 yeah. That might be a good idea for everybody who's out there who has a business that wants to accept Bitcoin. Yeah, you would want. Oh, to I got one. Businesses. Go ahead, John. I got one. Uh, one of my buddies, total agorist, cool guy in Oklahoma. He set up agorist.market. Agorist.market. There's also a Telegram channel, and any vendors, uh, there's instructions there. You email them or you go to the tel- uh, the Telegram channel, and they'll put up your listing. And so, I probably like 99.9% of the folks that are on this site, Agorist.market, they accept crypto, and it's not like mainstream businesses and stuff. It's Agorists like us, so that's probably the first place you want to go when you're looking for goods and stuff. So, have you guys tried PayPal yet for buying or, and sending crypto yet? No. I'm locked out of PayPal. They shut me down for doing Kratom stuff. Yeah, I'm not a big fan to begin with, but, you know, I I would not use them just out of, like, my gut instinct, right, for, like – I, I I didn't even look into them because I I don't even consider them as a legit operation for yeah. you know as an actor as somebody who really like likes to own my own stuff and have them 
So what about then is Tether a good option for um, taking crypto profits during exuberant buying periods then to reinvest when things come back to earth? Um, if I may, I, I'll answer that real quick. Uh, what traditionally happens for those of you who do not know, when you go to an exchange and you bring your Bitcoin and you want to get into trading and you want to buy and sell or go into different coins, um, they have these what are called stable price coins which are generally backed by USD, meaning the company that created the stable coin goes up and buys a bunch of billions of dollars worth of USD, puts it in a bank, ostensibly sits there and backs the currency, meaning you can take the currency and then go like the, the USDT or Tether and then go trade it in for US dollars. The problem there is it's just in effect in people's ideas and minds because it's hard to actually go and take that that crypto token and go and say, all right, now give me my U.S. dollar paper for it. Right. They don't have a mechanism of exchange set up for that. That's not a whole bunch of hoops, but ostensibly it's backed. And uh, the, the independent auditors who were there for Tether a couple of years ago decided they were going to leave for, you know, family time. But really, everybody speculated that there wasn't enough Tether or U.S. dollars to back the Tether. So there are stable price coins. And in the current market and the way that it works, yes, it's good. If you go if the if the market's taking a dump and you want to get out of your Bitcoin position, you go and you put it into Tether um, or one of these other stable price. I think there's like USD coin or something like that. Um so, yeah, a lot of these exchanges do have them and they're instruments for people to trade in and out of currencies without going into fiat, which actually makes it more efficient for the exchanges to work. So that's to answer Sean on Facebook. So um, there are those stable coins for that. What, do you guys use any stable coins? Do you accept stable coins for payment? Yes. Um, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, Bitcoin. and Wait, wait, wait. wait. Uh, Ethereum's not a stable coin. Neither is Bitcoin Cash. They are. Oh, no. See, I, I, see I, I look at it kind of in reverse because if you're, if you're, if it's tied to the whims of a central banker, then it can't, then it's not stable. I, I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's tied to the market, uh, market value, then it's stable. Clever guy. He's a yeah, clever yeah. guy down there. That's, uh, I, I, one thing to note, I didn't know this was the case until more recently. Whenever, in, if you have coins in an exchange, obviously if you go from crypto to fiat, you like cash out and you make a gain or a loss, that's a taxable event. It's also a taxable event if you go from Bitcoin to Ethereum or Ethereum to Monero or whatever. If you go from coin to coin, the IRS wants you to just determine what the US dollar amount was of each of those. Good luck went. with that shit. It's nuts. So nuts. There's a huge industry for tax consultants and software and all this Dude, stuff to try to track all. There is no feasible way that they can do that because of the fluctuating price of all of like the, like the, it's just it's nuts. Yeah, there's no yeah. real good way to do that because you have to then go figure out what the price was of each of those instruments at the time, and then you, from there you have to fork off and determine how much each one of those made. It's like they, they a great like, way to do that. Though. Whoever said that doesn't know what the they're thinking about use use like john was saying use bisque or one of those peer-to-peer exchanges that we mentioned like local coin swap or local.bitcoin.com to sort of shift or, or or change from one crypto to another it's a great way to do it without alerting the feds or anyone yeah, yeah a lot of wallets i use coinomi on my phone and it's a multi-wallet. It has Monero and Ripple, which not all multi-wallets have. And it has the seed and the ability to encrypt and stuff. 
You can also put it on your desktop as well and use the same wallet when you're out and about or when you're at home. Yeah. But it, a lot of these wallets now have built-in exchanges. They used to use Shapeshift, which yep. is super cool. I'm a big Eric Voorhees fan as well. Yeah. But they went ahead and complied with KYC and, you know, these are business people they and they got families and stuff. Yeah. 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 It, it's got to be really bold to have a company and not do it. But Changely inside of these wallets, there's no KYC or anything. So. Some of these yep. wallets with the built-in exchange, you can notice, okay, they don't do KYC. You can go from coin to coin all day long. It's super simple, too. It just settles into your wallet. Exodus is a really good one for that as well. They have an app for the Android and iPhone. They've got a desktop version, and they are also um, – you can use them with your Nano Ledger, right? So I've heard you- good things about that wallet. Is that what you use, Exodus? Uh, for some, for some of mine, yeah, Exodus is a, is definitely a good one. They they accept a lot of different coins. They have an exchange inside there as well. They, you can take it offline, and they have their own cold storage, or you can put it on your device, and it interfaces directly. Like you can plug your Nano Ledger in, and it reads that you've got Exodus, and it it just does it automatically. You know, like you connect them once, and then it's like anytime you plug it in, it's like they start talking. So that's a really good one. Um, there's also a really cool new thing that's happening now. There's a uh, a wallet called Nexo. And what they do is they do staking for you. They're acting like a bank. So Sal, you probably would not like them. You have to do KYC, but what you can do is you can, you can earn interest on your crypto. So as the price is going up, what they do is they insure it. Um, and then they loan against it and then you're earning interest and they split, they've got all of these great algorithms where it just splits it up. So if they're loaning out money based upon the staking that you're doing, they, they're earning you interest anywhere from five to 12% depending upon the coin. Wow. That's good gains. Yeah. I mean, Bitcoin's at 5% interests, right? It's like that's better than any checking account out there. And then you factor in the price and the bull run that we're going. And it's like, that's really dope. Um, and they also give you like an automated credit line. So if you put in, I don't know, like 20K, they'll give you almost 10K or 12K somewhere around there um, for that you can borrow. And I know a lot of traders who are doing that, putting their coins in there, getting the loan and then going and doing options on the loan. Like it's kind of high risk. Right. But like in a market like that, but they're also doing up and down, you know, whether the AI, whether the, whether the coins are going up or down, they're making money on the trades because they're implementing AI trading bots that tell them when to trade and that basically study the market and and they're making like 40 something, 48% returns. Like that's, I got a guy, I got a guy who's doing that for me. You know, it's like, I don't have the time to look at the coin prices every day, every hour, you know, on baseline, I just cover it in the morning. And like, like today, I think it was, or yesterday, I did the coin price in the morning and by the time like I finished editing and launched it, it was already up like a thousand bucks. I was like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> you know? Nice. Very nice. I think a, a lot of the stuff volatile. that we, we covered some uh, beginner stuff tonight, but we also mm-hmm. got like real complex and, and deep. And I think for, for noobs and beginners, the, the first thing to do is just to set up a wallet, make sure you back it up. You write down the seed on paper, not on your phone or on your device. You encrypt it with a password and then just buy some Bitcoin, even if it's 20 bucks worth or Bitcoin cash. I should say you don't want to buy 20 bucks worth of Bitcoin. If you're going to buy Bitcoin, at least buy enough to justify the transaction fee. But just start messing with it. And that's how you learn, you know, and maybe you screw up a little bit. Don't start. Don't send big transactions right off the bat. But you got to just get your feet wet and experience is the greatest teacher. Yeah. Just don't don't, you know, make sure you do two factor authentication on everything. For fuck's sake. Yeah, there's hackers out there that try to exploit. Make sure you're going to the correct URL when you go on a website because there's there's thieves that will like change one word or do the zero the o to a zero. Yeah, 
they'll try to get you. Or the I to an L, you know, lowercase L. So that's all of the questions that we had from our Telegram chats, our face group, Facebook groups, and from YouTube. Um, you guys want to, somebody asked thoughts on theta. And can you explain shapeshift? Uh, we went over that a little bit. Uh, shapeshift is the wallet, but they have this, they, uh, they have a service in there that was basically like a decentralized exchange where you could turn, they called it shapeshift for marketing reasons, but really it was just an exchange. You could turn your Bitcoin into Bitcoin cash or into Litecoin or whatever. Um, they charged a fee and it was pretty high at first. I don't know where it is now, but a lot of these wallet services and in Fireon too, we have an exchange or will have an exchange. Uh, that you can bring all these coins in and do the same kind of thing. And we're going to be making private coins for clients. And, you know, it, it, the, the idea with Fireon is that we know the beast system is going to be built. So if we build it and we own it, then we can protect ourselves in it and utilize it to its actual true benefits, which is to make civilization more efficient and that we could have like a type one class one civilization. That'd be nice. What's a class one civilization? Just like uh, on a Kardev scale. No, it's like a, a global civilization that begins to like travel the solar system and the galaxy. Basically, Star Trek was a type one civilization. I think you mentioned that on the first goose episode we did. And I asked that same question. I didn't retain the, yeah, that's didn't right. retain the knowledge. Now I'll never forget. Jack said something uh, similar in our little chat because I was saying one of the questions we could cover is, is Bitcoin going to be a tool to enslave people? And he made that same point that like, if, if the man is coming to use blockchain to hurt people to take away privacy, then we better do a good job of creating an alternative. So we, people have a choice to jive with us with Firon or another similar platform to help organize ourselves and, and do our money. Exactly. But I have, you know, there's no way I'm going to sell out. So. So can you, uh, thoughts on Theta? What do you think about Theta? I think we'll close it up. I've heard of that one. I, I haven't either, to be honest. I'm supposed to be like this big Bitcoin expert and I don't. Oh, uh, so John, you're doing a, uh, consultation for private clients, 75 bucks an hour to teach them about crypto, how to set up wallets and use it. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, most of the clients so far have been beginner users. And so there's all sorts of tutorials online. And of course the information is out there, but sometimes people like to have someone to hold their hands. Yeah. And so we'll actually do it there on the phone. I'll step them through setting up a wallet, make sure they have all of the adequate protections in place. Cause I always say like, there's three ways to lose crypto. The government can take it. Someone can steal it from you like a hacker or thief, not much different than the government. They're just public thieves right. uh, or user error. And more often than not, it's user error. So I've been yep. in the space for a while. I've made plenty of mistakes, you know, right. like I've bought low and sold high and I've bought high and sold low. And so I, I like to just impart some of that wisdom and knowledge that I've gained. But yeah, people can do a book. They can book it at a sovereign BTC at you can book dot me sovereign BTC at I'm sorry, sovereign BTC dot you can book dot me sovereign BTC dot you can book dot me. I'm not familiar with theta, but a lot of people ask my advice on all these obscure coins. Yeah. And I'm more of like a Warren Buffett talks about, you know, people say don't put your eggs in one basket. I think when it comes to crypto, it's good to hone in on a very, maybe like two or three baskets rather than stretching right. yourself thin. Of course, yep. you can find, there's bigger upside chance if, if it's, there's a coin that has like a $200 million market cap. It's easier to 10x or 100x two, 
200 million than it is 350 billion like right. Bitcoin. Although I do think Bitcoin is going to 10x in the next few years, probably. But so it's really good to get the fundamental coins that have a huge network effect that have a unique selling proposition. It's not just another clone of this or another thing like that. And more often than not, it's good just to, to get the, the big ones, the, the Bitcoin, the Bitcoin cash, Litecoin, the, Ethereum, the Monero. I'm not big on Litecoin. I don't see a lot of promise from it because it's not, it doesn't set itself apart from, from, uh, Bitcoin Cash, for example, you know, like it's been around though. It's 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 had it's, it's stood the test of time, but yeah. I'm not big, I'm not sold on it personally. Sal, but it's final, there, man. final thoughts and uh, coins that you like besides Bitcoin Cash, obviously. Um, you know, I just hope everybody had got the information that they that they are looking for. Um, I wrote a couple articles on being, becoming your own bank. One of them is at agorasnexus.com. Another one is at newlyretiring.io. Uh, I also did an episode of my show with Joel Valenzuela, um, on, uh, becoming your own bank with Dash. So if, if you, if you are, if you're looking for more resources, check all that stuff out. Um, but other than that, yeah, I, in terms of what coins I like, um, obviously Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, um, I like Dash because it sort of has a built-in coin mixer, which lends a little bit of privacy to it. I really like Monero because, obviously, I, I think that, like I said earlier, I think you're going to see a huge shift of market share from uh, pseudonymous chains to anonymous chains when the state starts to crack down. But I agree with what John said. I think you should sort of try to hone in on only a handful of them. But with the one exception being I think you should allow yourself uh, a couple uh, – exotic coins if you're going to do the whole investing thing um either allow yourself a handful of exotic coins or allocate a portion of your report your portfolio for some like next gen stuff like Firon or uh cardano or um apollo something like that so those are, those are the coins i like but i think the important point is i hope that everyone understands is to to use it to use cryptocurrency in a peer-to-peer fashion Correct, correct. I'm going to do the anti-agorist thing and piss off Jack and say um, XRP is at like 60-something cents, and I'm pragmatist, and so I say, you know, based upon what I know about what they're doing behind the scenes, and if there is a USD coin, it's going to be probably on the Ripple uh, Ripple platform in one way, shape, or form, and they're doing a airdrop of this coin that's called flare which is a turing complete capable coin that's equivalent to xrp basically so it's like you can do um coin aging you can do a number of smart contract things on this new flare token and they're doing a one-to-one airdrop for anybody who's got xrp in a wallet that works kind of like in nexo or one of these other wallets you can look it up online um just because nobody here said anything about it i'm I'm just going to put that out there uh at 60 something cents it's kind of like a a no-brainer for for me um i'm a big fan of bitcoin obviously i'm a big fan of litecoin I, I use those three on my baseline episodes, basically just as sort of like an indicator of the market. Um, I think after this discussion, I'm actually going to look into Bitcoin Cash a little bit more. I know Roger and I know, you know, I was there for when they, they did that whole fork and everything. And I agreed that, you know, Bitcoin needed to be faster. But I sort of felt like people are going to make that faster one anyway. Um, so I'll take a look at it. Um, 
and on that, I think crypto is, a, is, is the future. All of our currencies will be that in the future. In Africa, for instance, they are turning the unbanked, people who can't go to a bank, into crypto users by default because they have phones. They don't know what their address is, but they know what their phone number is. So cryptocurrency is going to be the way of the future. And we're in the, like literally the very early stages where everybody's trying all of these different coins to see what works. And, you know, that will all kind of come together into like a, 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 a you know, a, the, the future coin that works. I think there will always be a market for all of these. I think what Sal said is like super spot on. If and when the state becomes the the ultimate nanny and you can't buy and or sell without these coins or whatever, there's going to be a huge black market. But I think it's going to be commiserate. Like, I think there'll be a lot of people going in there initially, but that the markets themselves will be like commiserate with like, the amount of black market goods that are on the market now, let's say, like, I don't think just cryptocurrency is going to make that different, you know? So with that, anything else that anybody wants to add? You keep saying Turing complete. I'd never heard that term, but I understand the context. What, what does that, what does it mean? Like what's Good. the mean computer Turing complete? So the human computer, Vitalik Buterin decided he was going to learn how to compete how to make a blockchain com- computable, meaning like you can program it. Turing complete means um, the ability to program and uh, basically make it make other functions, right? So like have it be the base layer in an operating system for a sen- in a sense. So you could actually program the blockchain that if this happens, then that. If somebody sends a coin to this wallet, then it sends 10 coins to these other wallets. Or if somebody sends a coin to this wallet and this other person sends a coin to this wallet, then it will automatically hold them until a certain uh, time period and then, you know, split them. So instead of just like, I have to send you a wallet or a coin and you send me a coin, it's like you can, you can program the coins to do specific functions. So like, I can put into a, into a wallet, um, if X, Y, and Z conditions are met, then pay out the coins to to X, X and X and John. Let's say, like smart contracts. Yeah, smart contracts. So I could basically say, um, and there's a lot of really cool things you could do with this. You could create a blockchain that owns a taxi company, for instance, and that every time a certain amount of money and profits are made, it automatically buys a new automated taxi that belongs to. So like you can have self-operating organizations, which was their whole idea behind the DAO and this and that, and it, that was like. Super infancy. Yeah, exactly. Like the DAO is a total, you know, cluster F. So that's but, an example of corruption of a blockchain. It wasn't a government that corrupted the blockchain because these blockchains lack of government immutable. Not necessarily, though. If you think about it, the, the, the guy who who hacked the hacked the DAO really just was smarter than the rest of us. He just <laughs> found an error in the code that we if you think about it in, in terms of like a like a DAO. The code is the contract. And so DAO, for all those who don't know, it's a decentralized autonomous organization, meaning it operates on its own without structure, without state and everything. It's the first board of directors. Right. Right. But he was just following the code. So if you think about it, there really was no NAP violation involved. I mean, I I lost a bunch of money, but I I can't Uh I can't beat the guy up when I see him. Well, I was talking about the corruption came when Vitalik and developers decided to roll back the blockchain. Yeah, that was that a big, was, so there was a blemish on Ethereum because yeah. people lost tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. And instead of allowing a blockchain to be immutable, right. which just like never changes, it's always there recorded. They like undid this hack. And so 
That was and then that's why I, I tell people that like Ethereum Classic is the real Ethereum. They look at me like I have like three heads. Like, like is that still mean? around? Is it? Does it yeah. trade? Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is. You think about it. It's the real Ethereum because that's yeah. the original blockchain. You know. Yeah. Kind of similar to Bitcoin Cash is the is more authentic. Right. According right. to Satoshi's vision. Right. Well, I think that this has been really informative. We've gone through all of the questions that our listeners have and, you know, we even covered some deeper stuff. Maybe we can go into like Bitcoin conspiracies, you know, like on another episode or something if people want to go deeper on that kind of thing. Yeah. So, uh, John, you gave your website to people. If you need help, by the way, with the, that, the crypto consultation, I'll be happy to help you out. Um, in terms of, uh, saldiagorist.com is Sal Mayweather's website. Um, and are you Sal the Agorist on all the social media platforms, Sal? Um, yeah, you can basically find me if you look up Sal the Agorist on all the different platforms. That should work. Got a big ass Twitter following down there. That's Sal. Yeah, yeah. We're growing. We're growing. Yeah. The Agorist community. And John, yeah. what's your Twitter handle and or uh, social media handle? Uh, the website's livefreenow.show. I just started getting on Twitter again for the first time in a long time, and I think nice. it's John John B. Live Free Now. No, John B. Oh. Live Free. I don't even freaking know. I'm looking at you. <laughs> Sal, I look think I'm following you on Twitter. Uh, uh, I think I'm following you on Twitter, Sal. I get I get some of your tweets. I gotta um, find you guys. Yeah, I'm I'm real easy. I'm at Xavier Hawk on all the social media platforms. I do a daily weekday daily show at 4 a.m. called Baseline, which is basically it's the big cool. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I do yeah, like I a like bedroom thing. Um, and we, we cover the sun, moon, crypto, Schumann resonance news, along with U.S. news and global news and lots spirit. of Trump news, lots of Trump news. Well, so uh, <laughs> it's funny because a lot of my, a lot of my friends are like, why do you like Trump? And I'm like, I don't, it's not him. It's like what he's doing, right? Like fuck the Democrats, the Republicans, none of fuck them. The media. Yeah, and he's just sort of like doing this to everybody, and it's and it's really effing cool because it's pe- holding people accountable. But you know, I, I I'll give it like I'll give it to the left as much as I'll give it to him. Like there are things that he does that I just think are wrong. But um, you know, there's a lot he's doing that's right, and I think the fundamental thing for us freedom loving bipeds is the fact that he is saying like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, they created this thing called the constitution and it worked for a certain period of time to give us the liberty to self-determine, you know, and um, to keep it from being a monolithic beast site state, you know, we when did it work. It never worked. It worked <laughs> for a small group of people. Yeah. Even the, I mean, even the whiskey rebellion, they didn't even get the ink wasn't even dry. And Washington was raiding the whiskey. <laughs> you know, you're right. I <laughs> But like the, the I, I guess it's just the, the the last bastion of idealism that there might be to keep something like the world from turning into the CCP. You know, there's like, a lot of guns. That's one of the perks. That's right. And and like we would not be having this conversation in communist China. You know, no, no we'd be censored from from YouTube, which hopefully oh, doesn't we would disappear. Happen. And they would take that your might brain. happen anyway. Yeah, yeah. It might happen well, anyway. Well, that's, that's happening here already, right? Right. So, but like, I think Trump. He's saying. I, I think, a, no, I think more than I think I think Trump doesn't like stand for a lot like he's not very principled. I don't even think he stands for the Constitution. He gives it platitudes, but then he violates it like all of them do. But I think what you kind of alluded to earlier, it's what he stands against. Like he's right. against the deep state. He's against the shadow government, even though he puts Bilderbergers and <laughs> Council on Foreign Relations in his in his 
and And allowed the lockdown. He should have come out and said there are the virus doesn't kill 99.97% of people. We should not have lockdowns. But he everybody was so afraid that he was going to lose his base. And so he he played along. And it's like, like, yeah, you know, like we need to just stand up and be like, no. Yeah, anyway. it's a lot better than Biden and all what what the other people were saying. He did throw some haymakers at the virus, and he's like, yeah. "Don't let it dominate your life. Don't be afraid of COVID." I love that when he said yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. We and should so, do a whole show on on old Trump <laughs> before it's too late. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, dude, I I've wondered. I'm like, what if he actually loses? Like, am I going to be thrown in a gulag? You know. <laughs> I mean, they're they, yes. going to come and yes. like, take, take names of all of the people who are out there supporting Trump. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is like real life. Mandatory buybacks, X. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I put on my Guy Fox face and here we go. We have the goose has officially <laughs> been unloosed. <laughs> yeah. All right. We digressed into the Trump world. Yeah. So thanks, Sign guys. Us out. For, yeah. So thanks, everybody, for joining us tonight on Unloose the Goose with our special crypto question and answers edition. We have Sal Mayweather, John Bush, and myself, Xavier Hawk. Please find us on all of our social media platforms. And, uh, you know, if you aren't subscribed yet, please do subscribe on iTunes for all the audio listeners and uh, share us on YouTube and all of your social media platforms. We appreciate it a great deal for all of those free thinking bipeds out there. Hats off. Unloose the goose. We'll take no views. Your paradigm's run out of time and we've got